everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their line of natural medicine products on their website, abotanicalcompany.com. That's abotanicalcompany.com. Or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what their products are and how they can better your life. That's what they're all about helping people live better lives. So again, check out their line of natural medicine products. My great friends in Midwest City, Artisan Botanicals, and that website is abotanicalcompany.com. All right, it is NBA Draft Day. Uh, The Oklahoma City Thunder with two picks tonight, 25 and 28. Will they make both picks? Will they trade up? Uh, Is there that one home run guy that they feel like they can get? Um, Maybe in the lottery, maybe after the lottery. I think this is a really interesting draft where I don't necessarily feel like there is a clear-cut, guaranteed future NBA All-Star. But I also think there are a bunch of like good role-player type guys in this draft. And so that part of it makes it interesting. Uh, again, I think there are certainly some talented players that could help Oklahoma City at 25 and 28. Depending on how this thing falls, I think after the top three, and the top three, I believe, in some order is going to be Anthony Edwards- Uh, James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball. But from four to like 15, I think uh, this group is pretty interchangeable and it probably becomes a situation of what you need uh, and and feeling like you're going to get a guy that that might help you immediately. So uh, again, I think a a bunch of quality players, but I just don't see like those those standout future all-star type players in this draft. But uh, Sam Presti has has, uh, positioned himself to make two picks potentially tonight. And we'll see where they go. Uh, Aaron Davis and I are going to talk about Oklahoma City's picks and maybe some guys at the end of the first round that we would like to see Oklahoma City pull the trigger on if they're available at that point in the draft. So uh, get ready for that. Also, it's Bedlam week. We're only a few days away. I do kind of feel like the the Dennis Schroeder trade and the Chris Paul trade and all of the NBA rumors around James Harden and Russell Westbrook uh, and, and maybe Harden going to the Nets with Kevin Durant and just all the wildness that has happened in the NBA over the last few days have taken a little bit of the excitement level uh, away from Bedlam. And maybe part of that is also the fact that both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State didn't play last week. But uh, as we get closer, again, I think my excitement level begins to grow even more. And I can't wait for this football game on Saturday. College game day going to be in Norman. The atmosphere is going to be incredible under the lights at Memorial Stadium. So, Big-time matchup. Mike Steely and I will have pregame coverage on Saturday, two hours before kickoff. I will tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels, so make sure you check that out, and we will have you covered for all of your uh, Bedlam pregame show needs. All right, today's guest, Aaron Davis on the Colby Daniels podcast. My guest every Wednesday is the one and only Aaron Davis. Aaron, it's been a crazy week in terms of the NBA. It's Bedlam week in the state of Oklahoma. The NBA draft is tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited that we have so many things going on, but uh, first of all, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I, Bedlam is a perfect word to describe this week. Uh, like you said, the NBA is going crazy, just wild stuff happening on a Monday just to start the week. Um, obviously, Bedlam football, and then, you know, COVID's rearing up again, and uh, things get wild. We're, gonna, we're finishing off 2020 in a, in a wild way, and why not get it started with Bedlam Week? Does the does the fact that the NBA draft is happening, the Chris Paul trade, the Dennis Schroeder trade, and then obviously all the NBA rumors, does that in some way take away the Bedlam enthusiasm in your mind? 
I haven't. I honestly have not heard anybody talk about Bedlam really all week. Um, and I don't know if it's something to do with the fact that I, I honestly don't know why. I think it, you're right. It's probably just the Chris Paul factor. and They were, at least here locally, are finally stepping our foot into that Thunder rebuild mode uh, and accepting the fact that it, it's done. Like this era of the Thunder being a top eight team in the West where now is over. So uh, I, I think that's kind of been on people's minds a lot lately, uh, the last couple of days. And then I think by Friday, though, hell, maybe today. Maybe today is the day of the week where it shifts, uh, unless the Thunder do something crazy in the draft and move up into the top 10 or top five. Because they're, I mean, they're not going to draft somebody at, what, 20, in the mid-20s that's going to excite anybody. 25 and 28, yeah. There's a, there's a very good chance that, that they try and make some sort of package uh, put some sort of package together in this draft and move up. But, yeah, I'm with you. By Friday, certainly the excitement level will be amplified from where it is today. But, yeah, the Chris Paul trade, I think, it certainly uh, got a lot of eyeballs. And then you know how the rumor mill works. I mean, when you start hearing names like James Harden thrown around, Russell Westbrook thrown around, Stephen Adams' name has been thrown around still. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of interest in what's happening with the NBA but the other part of this that I think is interesting is for, for the Oklahoma side of things, number one, neither team played last Saturday. So we haven't watched the Sooners or the Cowboys play in two weeks. The last two games that Oklahoma played were Kansas and Texas Tech, and both of those games were over by halftime. So, so I don't know how much maybe that curbs the enthusiasm, so to speak, um, about what we've seen from them over the last three weeks. And then for the Cowboys, you know, they, they're obviously... I think trending in the wrong direction entering this game with how bad they've been offensively. And, they, they, you know, they get upset in the Texas game. They didn't look particularly great in the Kansas State game offensively. And then they also have a week off. So I think it's, it's two fan bases that haven't really had four quarters of just great football in a long time entering this game. And again, Oklahoma wins in dominant fashion, but against two opponents that, that really didn't test you in any way and the game was over very early so I don't know that's just my my guess as to why we kind of have this perfect storm of um, maybe not nearly the same excitement level as we would get in some seasons I'm honestly surprised with the fact that Oklahoma State is 5-1 right now ahead of OU in the Big 12 that we haven't heard more trash talking uh, out of Stillwater and I don't know if that's because there's a lack of confidence uh, on the off in the with the offense up in Stillwater or the fact that uh, OU's defense has started to look a lot better in the last few games, especially their pass rush. And maybe they're just a little bit worried about Spencer Sanders being able to handle the pressure and turnovers and all that stuff. I don't know. I just I felt like this was the year. There's going to be any year that OSU fans were going to come out of the woodworks and just talk trash nonstop for an entire week on Twitter. It would be this week, and I just haven't seen that much of it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I, I think going back to the beginning of the season, I felt like these were, by a pretty decent margin, the best two teams in the conference. I picked Oklahoma 1, I picked Oklahoma State 2, and then I felt like there was a pretty decent gap between those two, and then my third was Iowa State. But, like, I thought we were going to be entering this Bedlam matchup with two undefeated teams, and this was going to be, like, a top 10, maybe even top 5, depending on what was happening across the country type of matchup. And we get here... 
And it's it's so interesting how it's been a roller coaster for both teams, but certainly just in the last three weeks, it's been a roller coaster. Where if you asked me who I thought was going to win this game three weeks ago, I would have said Oklahoma State. And now we are game week, and I'm trying to figure out how Oklahoma State is able to put together offense enough to win this game. Uh, and you know, it, it's just crazy the dynamic and how it switched. And you enter this season. And you tell me that Oklahoma State is going to have one of the best defenses in college football. And you tell me that Oklahoma is going to lose their first two conference games. And everybody in the country is going to say, well, Oklahoma State obviously is going to have a great shot at winning a Big 12 title. They lose on Saturday, Aaron. They're, they're probably not even making the Big 12 title game. So this is crazy. And it's also a crazy situation because Oklahoma State was solely in the driver's seat after the Iowa State win in this conference with, again, some some incredibly talented offensive players, a defense that has wowed everybody, and you just think it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to roll through. Maybe they lose a game somewhere along the way. Maybe it's the Bedlam matchup, but they, they, you're going to pencil their name into one of those those two Big 12 championship game spots. And now you, you arrive at this point. Not only are they on the road, but they're the betting underdog, and it also feels like there's more pressure on Oklahoma State to win this game. And I asked this question on Twitter yesterday, who has more pressure to win Bedlam? And, I, and I, the overwhelming, I think, response was Oklahoma State. I would say that most years, it's the pressure's on Oklahoma because they've dominated this series for such a long period of time. Like, you're just expected to win it every single year. So I, th- I, I think the pressure is on Oklahoma 99% of the time. But this is one of the... the rare few years where Oklahoma State seemingly has from a talent standpoint pretty close matchup starting 22 they have more experience across the board right Oklahoma's a young team in a lot of places the Cowboys have experience in a lot of places and there aren't many years where you think the Cowboys legitimately have a chance to beat Oklahoma this is one of those and even though things are going negatively you feel like this would be a massive missed opportunity Oklahoma State so again it's kind of a weird thing where you have the betting underdog who's also on the road as the team that might have more pressure in this game do you think uh we're at the point with OU and the fan base where they're first off I don't really know how the college football playoff is going to work this year I I have thought about it and just tried to put my you know self in the shoes of the committee and like how do you vote on the four teams that get into the playoffs this year with the way the season's played out, how bizarre it's been. Like, how can you sit there and I, – I, I, I'll be honest, I don't even know the records of know. any of the Pac-12 teams. So, but, like, you look at the way the Pac-12 season played, how do you put a Pac-12 team in there? I, I don't know. I just can't process how you do that. But uh, with that being said, are we at the point with the OU fan base where if they're not going to make the playoffs this season – do they really care that much about uh, winning the Big 12 title, generally speaking? I think so. You think so? I mean, you think so? I, I don't know. I just... Well, especially <sighs> because at this point in time, that Big 12 title path is also through Oklahoma State. Well, that makes a difference, right? So, if it, maybe if it was like Iowa State or something like that. It might, maybe they would feel a little bit different. Right. I don't know. I, maybe it's just college football this year. It just hasn't seen. Uh, I just haven't seen the the fire, I guess, on Twitter and the fan from any fan base really of any college football program. Yeah, 
And I guess it's just been a bizarre season. and People are just kind of taking it with a grain of salt. There's not as much uh, hatred going around. Well, because, you know, it's a sport that, that isn't always as far as the highest level and, and how a title is decided. It, it, it isn't – I mean, I get you play for a national championship, but getting the nod to be in that scenario isn't something that is decided on the field, right? It's up for interpretation. Oh, yeah. And so because of that, I, I think college football is driven by narrative. And in a season where you look at, like right now, the AP Top 25, Alabama 6-0, and Notre Dame 8-0, and Ohio State 3-0, and and then you have some one-loss teams. You have Wisconsin at number 10, who is 2-0. and You have Oregon at number 11, who is 2-0. and Like, I don't even, how do you even have that conversation? How can, Clemson at 7-1, and one, how do you compare a Clemson team that's played eight games, their only losses to 8-0 undefeated Notre Dame, to an Oregon team that's undefeated but has played twice? Like, right. I, I, a loss to 8-0 Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence, too. Yeah. Not that DJ uh, Uigalele was bad, but uh, it was actually pretty good. But still, no Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I don't know how you even decide. Just put eight teams in. Let's just do it this year. Test run it. If there's a perfect season to test run something bizarre, it's this year. Yeah. I, I, look, if you wanted to just say conference champions for, for one season, then, you know, go go for it. Like I'm fine with that. Everybody's going to be represented. Um, if, if one conference started later, whatever, you know, there would still be, I think, pushback from like, for instance, the SEC and the ACC may complain that Ohio State's only had to play five weeks and they're not as beat up as everybody else who played 10, just just using an example. But right. uh, it is what it is. I mean, this is in, in a year that's been as crazy as, as 2020 has been. I, I've said this in regard to every sport and how they've had to alter their schedule or their playoff system or whatever. Life is unfair, and 2020 has been unfair in a lot of ways. And if you're expecting any of these sports to give you a postseason that's quote-unquote fair, then you just have your head up your ass. Like, there, you just have to do the best you can with what you have to work with. I don't think there is a fair way to do any of this. Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't feel like it. Um, just because, I mean, some teams are just going to play significantly fewer games than others. Right. There's not, I mean, there's just nothing you can do around it. I mean, hell, I, mean, I, I don't know. Would it have been easier or more difficult if the Big Ten and Pac-12 had stayed canceled? You think Probably, easier. Easy? Probably easier. Could you take Ohio State out of the question? Yeah. And then, you know, the entire well, shit. The, the problem becomes what happens if you have, like, I don't even know. Who, who's good from the Big Ten? I mean, all the all the name schools are terrible. Um. Right. Or, or even use like S, the uh, the Pac-12, like USC, for example. Like I, I've seen USC play. I don't think they're that good. But like 4-0 USC, if they're only able to get four games in, but they're undefeated and they're the best team from the Pac-12, what do you do with that? All right. Like, like they have a name, that. so they might get some acknowledgement. But like here's, here's why college football is so crazy. If Alabama were to only play four games and they're undefeated, they're in, right? Like, there's no question in my mind, Alabama's in if they only play four games, no matter what. But I don't yeah. know that that same thing holds true for somebody out of the Pac-12 or even the Big Ten. I, Ohio State, obviously, is a name, and they're getting in if they don't lose a game, regardless of how many games they play. 
right? So uh, Oregon uh, or USC, however, whichever one you want to pick. Or, yeah, Oregon's six, a good example as well. They're only playing six games this season. Do you pick a six and zero USC or Oregon over a one loss Florida team that has nine wins? I wouldn't. I, I mean, if you're asking right. me who I think is the better team, Florida. Florida's the better team. But, like, there's not but, a fair way to do this. Right. So, yeah, I think it would have been easier without those two conferences joining late. But, again, you just got to do the best with what you, you have, and that's why I think it's probably just easiest this season to just throw a you got to win a conference title blanket over the whole thing expand it a little bit and say, you know, this is how you get a spot. I'm look, I'm right there with you. Take uh, the Power 5 conference winners and one at large, two buys. There you go. In, like in NFL style. Yeah. You could do that. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to go up to eight and get super crazy. And, and Notre Dame is probably going to be that, that the at large. So you have five conference winners in Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame's playing an ACC schedule. Okay, that's right. That's right. I completely forgot about that so uh there you go and there the, yeah there you go but yeah i i mean i don't there's just not a good way to do it i mean if you want to tell me that somebody is going to get cheated by maybe losing one game and not getting an opportunity to bounce back in their conference title game like i get that but also how how are you going to compare a team that has played like 10 or 11 games with one loss to a team that played five games in a terrible conference but didn't lose like, I don't even know how you realistically make an argument for either one of those against the other. Look, this is the only way the Pac-12 is going to be relevant, is by only playing five games right. and making things complicated. Because if there's a 12-game season, by December, they're not relevant. There's no conversation being had about which Pac-12 team to get played. Yeah. Utah hasn't even played a game yet. Have they Just not? That. No. Oh, Wow. Well, there no, you go. They're, they're undefeated in the Pac-12. There's your Pac-12 representative. Potentially going to go forward. Oh, they got a big matchup against USC on Saturday. Representing the Pac-12 in the college football playoff with a record of 0-0, zero and zero, the Utah Utes. They, undefeated. They, they were undefeated. Uh, that would be awesome. It's crazy, man. It's very – It's and it's funny because last night I was uh, flipping through the channels and ESPN had their, like – faux college football playoff show where basically they get the rankings from all of their college football personalities and you know again it's Alabama one which whatever uh, I, I Notre Dame was number two I think across the board um, one person had Ohio State over Notre Dame which I don't even understand how that works how do you have a again this is this is why this is such a crazy thing do I think Ohio State would beat Notre Dame in a, in a matchup? Yes. But if we're ranking these teams, Ohio State's played three times. Notre Dame has played eight times with a win over Clemson. Like, in what world does that equate to Ohio State being ranked ahead of Notre Dame? Yeah, I don't here's, here's a question for you, too, uh, going off of that. So, how, how does the Heisman work? I mean, is the Heisman oh, yeah. awarded to the best player in college football? Because if it is, it might be Justin Fields, but how do you justify giving it to a guy that played six games over uh, Trevor Lawrence? 
I guess. Or, yeah. you know, like, how do you justify giving it to somebody with this only played half a season or half the amount of games that another player has played? Well, but, answer this for me. Was Trevor Lawrence the leading candidate for the Heisman when he got COVID and had to sit out? I would... Because I think a lot of people would say yes to that. I would think so, yeah. yeah. At least, especially narrative-wise, I would say that, you know, everybody knows he's going to the NFL, and I think people think he deserves the Heisman. So, 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 yeah, I would say so. Yeah, does, does him getting COVID and having to miss two games mean that he loses Heisman votes or to your point about Justin Fields who I also think is on my short list does does him playing maybe half the games that Kyle Trask excuse me ends up playing does that does that like you're right and and it's funny because I feel like most college football seasons the Heisman is as talked about as maybe anything college football related and I feel like I've barely heard it mentioned this year yeah I you mentioned Kyle Trask. I think he's – I think right now he's probably the leader. As long as Florida, if Florida – especially if Florida wins the SEC and beats Alabama in the SEC title game, I think you have to go with Kyle Trask. Yeah. If he stays healthy. I mean, he has 28 touchdowns and they played, what, six games? Yeah. That's pretty absurd. Yeah. The way he's playing. But, yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence was the leader. And I think Justin Fields is probably – if it was an MVP award – I think there's a very good case for Justin Fields being the most valuable player in college football, but yeah, I don't know. It's going to uh, help. Why? I maybe even just don't give a Heisman out this year. Well, there's no way they're not going to give one out. I, I, I would, I would be stunned if they miss that opportunity. Give it to Reggie Bush. Somebody's going to get it, but yeah, again, it's it's. I mean, what is your? Um, what is your standard for most deserving when you have one guy that might play half as many games as the other guy? Like every year, I feel like stats play a big part in who wins the Heisman trophy. And, you know, we've, we've, we've argued this many times. Uh, sometimes I feel like stats completely blind people as to what's actually happening on the football field. And you're not seeing true value in what a guy is doing over the course of four quarters for his team. You're looking at, you know, how that looks on, on a sheet of paper. Uh, if, if a guy plays half as many games, I mean, obviously, Justin Fields, from a statistical standpoint, is is not going to be close to Kyle Trask. There's just no way. It's not possible. Now, yeah. if Justin Fields continues to throw 86, complete 87% of his passes, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's an argument for some statistical uh, standouts there. But, yeah, I mean, there's just – he's not going to have as many touchdowns. He's not gonna, it's just not possible. So, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, it's obviously stats the Heisman isn't the be-all, end-all. It's a lot of narrative-driven uh, decision-making by the voters. But it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's what, I, I don't really care for the Heisman anyway because it's just no, it's impossible for all the voters to watch every single one of the players, like, consistently. Like, you're basing your vote off of probably watching them four games. Yeah, well, and and the narrative, I think, especially early to the midway point in the season, I think dictates a lot of what your selection becomes down the stretch, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have if a guy finishes second the year before and then comes in the next year and has as good a season, he's probably going to win the Heisman. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I think um, Kyle Trask right now is probably the front runner, if I had to guess. 
Trevor Lawrence will still get votes, but I, I 100% believe that there will be voters that hold him accountable for missing two games or hold that against him for missing two games because of COVID. Uh, and, and I think the same thing is true of Justin Fields. I, I think Justin Fields is is going to not get the benefit of the doubt for having played less games than like a Kyle Trask, for example. And I think that, that you know, Trevor Lawrence missing two games should be held against him. It's, I mean, it's, I don't, I'm not saying it's his fault that he got COVID, it's, but it's not a player's fault that they sprained their ankle in his two games. It's the same difference. And a lot of times that player is punished. Uh, for not being on the field as you know much as another player, but I just kind of play devil's advocate on myself because yeah. we've been talking this whole time about how do you make the judgment call right. when there are players that have played half the games. Trevor Lawrence might still play; he'll still play more games than Justin Fields will this season. Right? Yeah, that would be the crazy thing. He he plays two less games than he was supposed to, but still plays more games than Justin Fields. Like, how do you weigh that? Yeah, I. I say just give it, give it to Kyle Trask. It seems just, it just seems like the easiest solution, like the biggest, the easiest cop out is to just give it to Kyle Trask. Yeah, as long as Florida doesn't lose another game before voting, he's he's probably the front runner. Yeah, he's been great. It's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Bedlam, Oklahoma is a seven point favorite in this game. The over under is set at fifty nine points. How are you feeling about what we're going to watch on Saturday? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to start pretty defensively. I think the first half is going to be pretty low scoring, and then I, I think that Ramondre Stevenson being back is a huge difference on offense. And I think that I, I think the OU offense is just going to be a little bit too much in the second half. And I think OU is going to pull away. I think they'll probably win by double digits. I'm not, I don't think they're going to win by 20 or anything like that or 27. I think it's going to be like 10 to 13 point victory, but. I just think that right now where OU's defense is at the last few weeks, especially with the pass rush, Ronnie Perkins coming back, a uh, huge boost, but Nick Benito's been good. Both the edge guys uh, have been really good uh, pass rushing. And I think that, you know, we all know that makes it significantly easier for the secondary to make plays or, you know, stop, you know, just do whatever they need to do. It makes it significantly yeah. easier when you get a pass rush on the quarterback. I don't really trust Spencer Sanders to handle that pressure uh, as well as he needs to in a game like this. And I just I don't think that OSU has the offensive weapons uh, to keep up with OU, even if uh, you know OU's offense isn't what it was the last few years. I think with Spencer, San, uh, Spencer Rattler, excuse me, and like I said, Roger Stevenson coming back, I think they're going to be too much uh, for OSU to keep up with. I'm thinking like uh, – 34-24 game, 37-27, something like that, 37-24, somewhere around that range. I think OU scores in the 30s, OSU scores in the 20s, and it's a double-digit win. I think I disagree with you about OSU having the weapons. I think they absolutely have the weapons. Uh, as far as the skill position players and the matchup with OU's linebackers and secondary, I love Oklahoma State's chances to hit big plays with those guys. The problem is, again, there's just such a mismatch, I think, right now with Oklahoma's defensive line and the Cowboys being able to block well enough to get those guys in positions to make plays. So that's that's my biggest thing is watching the Oklahoma State offensive line the last couple weeks and watching the Oklahoma defensive line the last couple weeks. Like, I don't know how they prevent Oklahoma from mm. just completely disrupting plays from the get-go on the line of scrimmage. So 
again, when you look at, at Tylen Wallace and, and Brennan Presley and Landon Wolf and Dylan Stoner and Jelani Woods, like I think all of those guys could potentially make big plays in this game. And I, I like all of those guys in matchups against the back seven from Oklahoma. I just don't know that the Cowboys are ever going to get them in positions to do that. And and to your point about Spencer Sanders, obviously, you know, I don't think anybody says right now going into this game, they feel completely comfortable with where his, his decision-making is right now. Yeah, you're right. I, you're right. Obviously, OSU has the weapons. Tyler Wallace, I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the country. He, you know, a couple of years ago, absolutely torched Oklahoma and Norman in that game that, uh, you know, went down to the wire with, uh, oh, what was it, Cornelius Taylor? Corndog. Corndog, yeah. Corndog. Um, so they've obviously got the weapons, and I just, I don't trust the coaching staff to call, just devise an offensive game plan that's going to utilize them when they don't have the time to yeah. let these plays develop. So if, if they can, you know, get some quick hits to Tyler Wallace, some short, quick passes, and he makes a play, then so be it. But I just don't know that they're going to have the time to sit back there and let these plays develop uh, with this OU pass rush to playing the way they are right now. Yeah, agreed. Look, Oklahoma's defense has been much better the last three games. Now, granted, some of that is the fact that they've played TCU, Texas Tech, and Kansas, and I don't think anybody is shouting from the rooftops that any one of those offenses is good, per se. But, again, I think the defensive line makes it look significantly better for the back seven than it actually is. Um, So if they can protect Spencer Sanders or give him time uh, and he's able to get the ball to playmakers, I think you can still score and you can still get some big plays on this Oklahoma defense. Again, I just have a big doubt as to whether or not they're going to be able to do that. And I also think a lot of what Oklahoma's front four right now is doing. And then on the other side of the ball, like th- this one is is interesting to me because I, I think Oklahoma State's defense is really good. I think that they are going to have success. They like to gamble. They like to send pressure. And they're going to get home in this game. But they're also probably going to give up a couple of big plays in this game because we've seen it all year long, right? It's not like they're pitching shutouts. They give up big plays because... They like to play aggressively, and they like to gamble, and sometimes they miss, and that's going to happen. And especially against a team that has as much firepower as Oklahoma does, it's going to happen. They're going to score some points. But I think over the course of four quarters where that matchup, like you said, I think ends up dictating toward Oklahoma's favor is you know potentially the Oklahoma State Cowboys being put in bad field position situations all day long and time of possession. They're out there a lot, and in the second half... That's where, to your point about Ramondre Stevenson and maybe hitting some big plays in the passing game late, that's where I think Oklahoma pulls away. Does does a limited capacity with the fan base in this game, does it, you think that favors OSU? you think that makes it easier on Gundy uh, in this matchup? I mean, it, I would be lying if I said that it, it didn't help at all for, for a visiting team to go into a place that's normally incredibly hostile. Well, at least on, you know, one game a year. One right. game every other year. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, does it make a difference against Kansas? No. Right. But I'm just, I'm curious because, you know, we've all talked about it at nauseum about the Gundy, you know, and the, he just can't win BOU. Like, he's got this weird uh, aversion to Oklahoma. And, like, it's just like this, this monkey can't get off his back 
and you know, generally speaking, obviously there's a couple of wins, but generally speaking, he's been terrible against OU. And I'm curious if that if that's because he looks across the sideline and sees Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops, or if it's just a an environment thing that he just can't go to Norman and do what he needs to do on a consistent basis. I don't. I don't think it's a scared thing. I, I think it's a mentality thing more than anything. I. I, I have always it. had the feeling like Mike Gundy goes into that game, coaching not to lose instead of coaching to win, and and that's why two years ago when they went for two, it was unsuccessful, but I thought it was the right move. I. Yeah, I, I liked the fact that Gundy for so long has had this monkey on his back, where we all talk about how how uh, conservative he is in Bedlam, and and look every game for that matter. I mean, that's a, that's a criticism of Mike Gundy, Bedlam or not, that he's very uh, conservative. But especially in Bedlam, I feel like he's been conservative. And it, it feels like a lot of the big decisions in Bedlam are made more toward let's not take a chance that this, this potentially loses us the game instead of let's go, let's go win it ourselves. And, it, you know, that, that is also, I think, a fascinating storyline with this game because when you have a defense that is good as Oklahoma State's, the thought, I think, for most coaches would be, we don't need to gamble. We don't need to give them any extra opportunities because our defense can keep us in this game. So I, I don't know whether he stays conservative in this game because he believes that the defense can keep them in it or because, and I would agree with this, the defense is the better unit. Or is it a situation where you look at how bad you've been offensively and you say, we got to give ourselves a chance and you get super aggressive and you just throw everything you have at, at the the opponent. Again, it's such a weird dynamic because going into this, like Oklahoma State is both the underdog and it feels like has more pressure, right? Like they're a seven-point underdog. They're on the road, but it also feels like they have more pressure to win the game. So it's such a, a crazy dynamic, unlike maybe anything we've seen in this series with the position they're in. I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Kansas State-Iowa State game dictates how aggressive Gundy is going to be. Because if Kansas State wins, Oklahoma State has the tiebreaker against Kansas State. Uh, obviously, you know, they would need Iowa State to lose again, but it helps because Iowa State losing doesn't really – I mean, if Iowa State wins, then Oklahoma State has to win. But I think if yeah. Iowa State drops a game against Kansas State, it's a little bit more wide open for Oklahoma State. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't – I, I don't understand being conservative when you're the underdog. I think, like, I think that's just a general rule, especially in football. Like, if yeah. you are the underdog, what do you have to lose? Right. Uh, so I would love to see Gundy come out and be aggressive and, you know, throw the ball to Tyler Wallace 12 times. Like, get Tyler Wallace 12, 15 times. Like, throw him the ball as much as you can and just let your playmakers make plays. I, and I know Chuba hasn't been as good. Uh, this season as we expected but between uh, him and LD like there's no reason that they can't rush for uh, you know a good clip combined like there's just if you let your dudes make plays which I don't know that Gundy necessarily does a lot and I felt like he did a couple years ago in that game we brought up a couple times now uh, I felt Tyler Wallace was amazing in that game those receivers lit up OU secondary and it for the first time in like a couple a few years I felt like Gundy just let his dudes go out and make plays and that was the closest they've been to winning since, what, like 2014? Yeah, I mean, look, they've had some close losses. They've had some, you know, an overtime loss. I guess there was a shootout, too, in uh, uh, Bedlam. Yeah, there was a shootout with Mayfield and, and uh, Rudolph. Um, 
they've had opportunities, but yeah, like I again, is there a guy on Oklahoma that you feel like can defend oh. Tylen Wallace? No. Oh, there's there's probably only like a I don't know, there might be five guys in the country that can defend Tylen right. Wallace. So again, I think the key here and I I'm st- I'm skeptical as to whether or not they can get LD Brown and Chuba Hubbard going in this game once again simply because I think the front, yeah, yeah the offensive line. line is just such an issue at this point. Unless it's drastically better, uh, I, I, I just don't think that's a big part of what they're going to be able to accomplish Saturday. But, yeah, Tylen Wallace, like, nobody from Oklahoma's secondary, I, 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 I would feel good about defending him. Like, I, I, if you give extra consideration to Tylen Wallace, I, I think that's fair. Make somebody else beat you. Now, again... Like, I, I think Oklahoma State skill position players are undervalued. I think that it's not just Tylen Wallace. Like, they have other guys that I think are really good that also are capable of winning their matchups against that Oklahoma secondary. But I'm just skeptical as to whether or not the offensive line can protect long enough for that to happen and whether Spencer Sanders is good enough in the passing game to make that happen. So, Tyler Wallace that 2018 bedroom game. 10 catches, 220 yards, and two touchdowns. That, I, don't, I don't see any reason that you're not trying to do that again. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have 200 yards, but I don't see any reason that Tyler Wallace can't have 10 catches if he plays all four quarters. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, you got to get him as many touches in this game as possible. And again, because he's playing outside, it's, you know, with Chuba Hubbard, it would be a different conversation, I think, if we were talking about an offensive line for Oklahoma State that had been having success and that wasn't as beat up as they've been. And we had seen Chuba Hubbard even being close to the guy he was a year ago. But like, I, I, I just, I don't have any expectation for the Oklahoma state run game in this matchup short of Spencer Sanders doing some things with, with his legs, but it is absolutely important that Tylen Wallace has touches. Yeah, absolutely. And if he doesn't get touches, then that, you know, that, that's a, issue with the game plan. Like, that's, that's all the coaches if Tyler Wallace is not, you know, a huge part of the offense on Saturday. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this uh, yesterday, but PFF put out their, their grades for the Power 5 conference quarterbacks on the season. Now, again, understanding that not everybody has played the same amount of games, Justin Fields, through three games, has the highest grade of any Power 5 quarterback at 93.9. Mac Jones from Alabama is second at 93.8. Spencer Rattler is third at 92.2, above Trevor Lawrence, who is fourth, at 91.3. Uh, I definitely agree with the first one. Uh, you know, obviously, we're not taking we're not taking how many games they played into account here. Spencer Rattler being above Trevor Lawrence is... Uh, that's pretty jarring. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, he's made some amazing plays. Yeah. But I've also seen quite a few boneheaded plays by Spencer Rattler and, you know, stretches where he just, he looked like a freshman. Yeah. And so, and I trust PFF. Like, PFF's one of those metrics and one of those sources that, like, I take to heart because it's it's just pure analytical data. You know, there's no opinions going into their, what they're posting, but that's... That's shocking. Like, it really is. And I can't – Trevor had a bad game this year that I'm just not remembering? I don't think so. Um, but I'll tell you what I think a lot of this also is. From a statistical standpoint and from a game standpoint, like we see how many times every game Spencer Rattler makes the right play and somebody like drops a touchdown pass. 
What's the number? Fair. Like eight yeah. drop touchdown passes, I think. It's a, yeah. That's just touchdowns alone. Yeah, and that's just touchdown passes. PFF is grading that as the right play. Uh, yeah, those and, are super completions. Yeah, in in the stat sheet, it goes down as an incompletion, but from a grading standpoint, PFF that's a good grade because he made the right play, he made the right throw. It was where it needed to be. It just didn't result in what you wanted it to result in because of something outside of Spencer Rattler's control. So that's for, for the for the people that don't understand how that works. Like they're grading you on what you are doing and what your job is within a play, not necessarily the way the play turns out, right? Yeah, and I'm not I'm not necessarily surprised that Spencer's in the top five. I'm just more surprised that Trevor Lawrence is that low. Fourth? Fourth, yeah. And he's not even they also posted just all of college football and Trevor's not even in the top he's not in the top five. Zach Wilson for BYU's third uh, when they took into account the entire landscape of college football. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I guess I just kind of for I haven't watched every Clemson game, obviously, but just a little surprised that he's out of the top five and out of, out of the top uh, four in the power five. Yeah. Well, they also have Travis Etienne, and, you know, he accounts for uh, a lot of big plays within that offense. And here's the other thing. This, this also, again, going back to the way PFF does things like Spencer Rattler could throw a ball 30 yards down the field and it goes through a guy's hands and it should have been a touchdown pass. But that on the stat sheet is 0 for one incomplete pass. Trevor Lawrence could throw a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage from his own 20 and Travis Etienne makes eight guys miss and scores a touchdown and on the stat sheet for Trevor Lawrence, it says one for one, 80 yards, one touchdown. When really, he, he didn't do anything exceptional. Right. Travis Etienne had an amazing play, but because Trevor Lawrence threw the football, that's how it reflects on the stat sheet. That's Again, I think you have to understand those things to understand why you know sometimes the PFF grade can look considerably different than maybe the stat sheet does. Yeah, definitely. Um... Great, yeah. And Spencer Rattler, he's uh, he, I will say though, I feel like he has gotten more consistent the last few games. After that, yeah. after that Texas game, I felt like, and I'm not saying he played bad in Texas, but I, I feel like there's been a more, he's been more comfortable and more consistent, snap to snap, and great signings. Not like we expected anything different from him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fun, obviously, by Saturday uh, with game day there and everything else, which will all, which will be. A unique situation and I'm curious to see what it looks like but uh, by Saturday everybody in the state is going to be completely jacked up about this game and and look I, I think from a from a matchup standpoint stylistically I'm really intrigued by this game and I'm really intrigued to see how maybe Oklahoma State can work around their offensive line issues and if they can I think this is a hell of a game but that is that is to me where I see the separation, and that is where I went from maybe feeling like Oklahoma State was my pick to win this three weeks ago to feeling like I think they have a problem defending Oklahoma's defensive line. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, especially after you watch Oklahoma State's last two games, the loss to Texas, and they barely beat Kansas State by two points. Like it's they're just not trending. The teams are trending in complete opposite directions right now, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, let's let's jump into the NBA. Uh, what a what a crazy week it's been. We're gonna hit the draft in a minute because the draft is tonight. Uh, the Thunder, at least as of right now, have the number twenty five and number twenty eight picks in this thing. Um, 
Chris Paul traded on Monday. Dennis Schroeder traded to the Lakers. Obviously, Danilo Gallinari is going somewhere else. Um, what will happen with Steven Adams? His name is now in the in the trade rumor mill. I think I saw his name maybe attached to a Celtics rumor the other day. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Steven, if Steven Adams stays put, especially when you consider one year left on his deal, $27 million coming off the books next offseason for the Thunder. And I think they would like probably to retain him at a much cheaper rate uh, on the next go-around. But just as far as Oklahoma City goes, thoughts on everything that's that's taken place to this point? Uh, first off, kudos to Presti for turning uh, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George into what? Like 16 first-round picks, something like that. Like some of, It's gotten to a point where I can't even count how many first-round picks they have. Uh, stored up in their in their vault right now, which gives them so many options. They could package those up and trade for another superstar down the, in a couple of years. They could just draft everyone, and you would hope that you know if you got 15 first round picks, you really hit on a couple of them. Uh, they're just so flexible with the way they're moving in to this decade and rebuilding the team, which is great. Um, Chris Paul going to Phoenix, feel bad for you, son, because you, you're not winning a title in Phoenix. Um, but luckily, a lot of people like to retire in the you know southern Arizona desert, so you're already there to retire. Go ahead and just call it a day. I will say that backcourt is going to be fun. Uh, it's just Phoenix. I, they don't win games. Even when they have a good team, they're not. They just don't live up to their hype. So I'll believe it when I see it with Phoenix. Um I, I get trading Steven Adams. Um, I think he's on the, I believe he's on the last year of his deal. He may yeah, have one la- more year. Yeah, last, last year. year. Yep. Okay, so it makes sense to move him because you don't want a situation like you had with Gallo, with Gallo last year where you just kind of you let the contract ride out and you don't get any assets back from him when you know, I think we knew going into last season and especially the front office, they knew that 2021, 2020, 2021 was going to be the year that they rebuild. And I think that they just, every all got caught up in them being successful and being good, that they kept Gallo. And you don't want to do that with Steven Adams. So maybe you trade him at the trade deadline. Um, but I think you definitely have to move him this year. I, I'm, I'm a little bit different than I think a lot of people in this market about Steven Adams. I don't think you get a lot for him. Honestly. Oh, you don't. He's so, a center that doesn't space the floor. Exactly. So to me, it makes more sense to keep him, let that $27 million come off the books next year instead of taking on more salary that might be extended out beyond next year. And you just open up a ton of room. Yeah. And then if you want to keep him at like a Nick Collison type of price at $5 million a year to, to play, you know, the, the role that probably equates closer to that salary than $27 million, then you can do that. But... To me, it just doesn't make sense to move him for the sake of moving him because I don't... Look, if Sam, if Sam Presti can get a first-round pick for Steven Adams, by all means, do it. I just don't think anybody in the NBA right now would give away a first-round pick for a center that doesn't give you offensive versatility. Which is why Boston makes perfect sense, though, because that's the center they look for. I mean, the, the, the Daniel Theus, our yeah. guys, how, whatever the hell you say yeah. his end up in his canter, like, they just... They play him whatever. situationally. Right. With the way that they construct their roster, they want that big bruising center that, you know, kind of just stands under the basket and protects the rim and can put, you know, get some offensive rebounds. So Boston makes sense, but they kind of already have 
Steven Adams type play. I, I, uh, I yeah. just, I don't know if he really goes to any team and makes them significantly better over something that they could get like for cheap, like Dwight Howard. Like, Dwight, what's the difference between Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and Steven Adams? Steven Adams twenty-seven is million better. dollars, twenty-seven right. million dollars on your cap. Steven Adams is better, but it's not. He's not better in areas that makes a huge difference in 2020 basketball, NBA basketball. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't trade him. Hell, I agree. I think the move – you talked me into it. Yeah, and the move is to keep him. Yeah, keep him long term. Just – I I don't – I don't know if he's ever talked about winning a title being like a priority for him. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to move on, then sure, do him a solid, but – uh, you know, finding the right trade partner is important, and you're not going to move him and take on a bad contract. So if right. you're not getting a if you're not getting a good pick, it makes more sense to just pay him the 27 million this year. He's also, if you consider this, Aaron, they traded Schroeder, uh, they traded Chris Paul. You've got to have a floor, which I know Ubre and Rubio help get to that because you've got a, a bunch of you know young contracts. Let the $27 million expire, and then you're, you're obviously going to reinvest that in your young players when you have to redo those deals. But I just don't see it making any sense unless you're getting picks to move Steven Adams because his money is gone after this year, whereas if you trade him anywhere else, you're taking on more money probably for more years. Like It, it just makes zero sense when you're trying to rebuild. Yeah, looking at their roster right now, because you mentioned the floor, uh, the Floor for this season. Uh, hang on, I'm trying to find the. Uh... So I think Rubio is scheduled to make like 17, and Ubre's scheduled to make 15. You lost Gallo's money. Schroeder's money's gone. I, Danny Green, I think, is in the 15 range. I can't find it right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I just, yeah, sure. The Schroeder trade hasn't been official yet, has it? What do you mean by We're official? The trade, the Schroeder trade to L.A. I mean, it's as official as it can be. Okay, they just haven't, sw- okay. Because it, yeah, it's that stupid thing where, because it's a draft pick, like tonight, the 28th pick is going to put on a Lakers hat, which is the okay. – I hate – it's one of the dumbest things in the history of basketball. But, uh, yeah, like it's it's as official as it can be because it involves a draft pick. Like it's not just – I don't know how they – whatever they do. The 28th right. pick tonight is going to put on a Lakers hat, but it's it's the Thunder's pick. Okay. That's, I thought that it was official. I was just looking at their uh, – the spot track for the Thunder, and they still had Schroeder's contract on their active roster. So okay. Yeah, I, just, I wasn't sure if I would if yeah. That officially. Yeah, but Danny Green's making the same amount of money as Schroeder, so that's not really going to affect anything. Yeah, I, look, maybe if you can convince Shea to sign an extension, maybe you just go ahead and sign him to an extension. Yeah. You know, maybe you cut uh, trade Ubre and then sign Shea to an extension and get your salary up to that floor because it's definitely not going to be at the floor. I would imagine if they if they cut you know, Ubre or Rubio's salary down, but... If the they, Thunder move up tonight, I think Kelly is involved in the trade. Yeah, I don't know who else would be. Maybe... Yeah, I mean, T-Ferg's not really going to have uh, a lot of value. I mean, they've got young guys. I just don't know 
if these young guys are people that other teams like look and see a future value in as more than you know a second unit guy. Like I don't know Hamadou Diallo if Cleveland is looking at Hamadou as anything more than you know an eighth or ninth guy on a bad team. Yeah, but I saw okay so. I, I wanted to bring this up because it was the stupidest thing I had, I had seen all all week. Uh, I, looking at mock drafts is on Bleacher Report, so take it for what you will. Okay. It's Bleacher Report. This should be good. And this uh, guy should just look at his name so we can trash him by name, but I don't remember his name. First pick overall, he had the Oklahoma City Thunder trading up to number one. Uh, the Thunder were giving Minnesota uh, a, a draft pick or two, a couple draft picks. And uh, SGA to draft Lamelo Ball. Wow. I think that would be borderline. Let's fire Sam Presti. Stupid ass GM move to trade Shea to and draft picks to go up and draft Lamelo Ball. And I've said on here before, I like Lamelo Ball. Yeah. But you have a proven thing in Shea that has we his floor. We know what his floor is, and it's, he's a good NBA player. His ceiling, who knows what his ceiling is? You're gonna trade him for Lamelo Ball? Well, the problem with Lamelo, like I always, I I was always under the impression watching Lamelo highlights that he was a great shooter. He's not he's terrible, and he's very, actually, he's not terrible. Or, or I guess maybe the impression was that he has a lot of range. Maybe that's the better yeah. way to say it. But, like, I was watching a draft special maybe two days ago, and they were comparing LaMelo Ball to Lonzo Ball, and they were, like, going through all the different things, like defense, Lonzo Ball, better defender than LaMelo Ball. And they got to shooting, and they said Lonzo Ball is a better shooter than LaMelo Ball. That pretty much cemented it for me that LaMelo Ball is not the best player available in this draft. If Lonzo Ball is a better shooter... Lonzo Ball's not a good shooter. Yeah. I'm not saying he's just the worst ever, but I... No. No. He's got range. The range is there with LaMelo, and I like his aggressiveness shooting, but he is incredibly inconsistent because he's got that dumbass, like, broken ball family jump shot that puts him in a situation where he just... He misses significantly more than he makes them from from downtown yeah but I, for me the difference with a mellow and a lot of, and a guy like anthony edwards it, it's just anthony edwards seems a little bit more timid to me and if i'm drafting a guy in the top five top three i need to get somebody that's aggressive like i need to get somebody that i don't feel is going to come into the nba and line up against chris paul or um kyrie or lebron or any whoever it might be and be intimidated yeah, I don't feel like Lamelo is going to be that guy, um, so that's a big selling factor for me. And plus, his uh, his playmaking is really good. His forward vision is great. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the draft later, but um, as far as the Thunder go, yeah, trading SGA would be absolutely stupid to me uh, to move well, up for in the that, draft for that pick. Yeah, yeah. And look, if there was a situation where there was a Zion or. Um, a Kyrie or an Anthony Davis, somebody that was just a surefire guy, yeah. then whatever. Go ahead and trade, trade SGA and take a chance on this guy, number one, if for whatever reason team picking number one was, were stupid and wanted to do that. But in this draft, 
I don't think there's. I, I don't think there's a difference right now going to the draft between one and ten. I, I, you just don't know because Agreed. one, there's just not as much tape. There's, there's no tape on these guys for this season. Um, I I actually heard it's been a while, but along the course of this process, I heard someone compare Lamelo Ball to SGA. Like, I mean, if you, I would, that'd be a great. I'd say if that's the situation, Lamelo's. Played great. That's a great outcome for him. Yeah. So why? Yeah. Why would you? Why would you trade SGA to get that pick for a more expensive player? Like it just. Yeah. That wouldn't make any sense to me at all. Right. Trade SGA for a guy that might be SGA. Yeah. And is going to cost you more. And you're giving away picks. And oh, and Daddy's going to be at the games. Oh man. You know what? Actually, now you've you've convinced me. Let's get Lavar Ball to Oklahoma City. That'd be great. Uh, you know what trade? I, you know what move that was made this week that I thought was an amazing move? It was Drew Holiday to, to Milwaukee. Oh yeah, I love it. The uh, teams might struggle to score eighty five against them this year. Drew Holiday is the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Yeah, and Giannis is the best all around defender probably. Didn't Giannis in the NBA. just win Defensive Player of the Year? I believe so. I think it was for the second year in a row. <laughs> Uh, he de- I, at least this past year, he de- I definitely won it. But yeah, and then Brooke good, Lopez as the anchor. Yeah, good luck scoring a hundred points against this team. Um, great move. Yeah, so much versatility. They're so long and athletic. Yeah, Milwaukee is great move by them, especially. Excuse me, considering that we talked about it before, they need to prove to Giannis that he needs to be in Milwaukee long term. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, even if we're taking the the player and what he actually brings to the table out of the equation. This to me is a little bit like the Carmelo Anthony situation a few years ago, whereas like the Thunder were in a situation where they they had to sell their star player on the idea that they were willing to make moves to bring in players to surround him with talent. And, you know, I, I said that from the beginning. I felt like the Carmelo Anthony trade was a win if for no other reason than you were selling your star player on the ability or the aggressive mentality that you were going to try and bring talent to, to help him win a championship. It didn't work, but you get the, you know, th- they sold Russ that that's what they were trying to do. Same thing with Giannis. I think that Giannis wants to stay there anyway, but you have to sell him on the idea that you're going to do everything you can to surround him with pieces that are going to help him win a title. And even if Drew Holiday wasn't a great fit, I think this is a win simply because they're showing him that they're willing to bring other players in to complement his skill set. A starting five of Drew Holiday, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who they also acquired from uh, Sacramento. Sacramento, who is a great force placer. He play, he's a great two guard. The Chris problem Elton. is, Aaron, he's the second best Bogdanovich in the NBA. Hey, I'll take the second best Bogdanovich in the NBA over uh, a lot of other players. Uh, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez is starting five. That's probably That's really the best good. starting five in the Eastern Conference. I wouldn't even say probably. I would say that is, right now, in my mind, definitively the best starting five in the Eastern Conference and a defensive nightmare. Chris Middleton is a decent defender in himself. Yeah. Like, he's long. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, this, it's a matchup nightmare for, I would say, every team in the NBA. There are obviously teams I think are better. Like, I think the Lakers are a better team, but. Good. I mean, they got to be the favorite in the East this season again. Yeah. Well, look, they weren't going to do anything in the postseason the way they were built. So, 
this this makes it intriguing for sure. Uh, dude, your Houston Rockets are not only the the like feature presentation right now in the NBA, but it's it's like the feature presentation of Borat. Like it's just a complete shit show. What do you expect? It's Houston sports. I don't know what happened. Like two years ago, I was like, damn, Houston sports are like, they're they're going up the mountain, man. They're about to peak. Like, it's a great time to be a Houston sports fan right now. And now, absolutely just complete dumpster fire. It's every every team. At least, you know, the Astros redeemed themselves this past year, but it was still a shit show and embarrassing to be an Astros fan. The Texans, what what was their lead over the Chiefs in the first half? Oh, uh, 24 points. 24-point lead over the Chiefs in the postseason. And they lost by 20-something. Yeah. And now they're one of the worst teams in the NFL. The oh. Astros went from winning a World Series to, well, I guess they were still good this year, but everybody, you know, everybody hates them. They're cheaters. And then the Rockets were one win away from beating the, the Warriors and maybe winning a title with Chris Paul to... Oh, they would have definitely won a title. Yeah, I they think they would have, too. destroyed that Cleveland team. Yeah. Okay, I, now, now you got me. You got me hot now. The Texans, I, just for a second, I got to get on the Texans. I swear to God, if Jack Easterby and that front office make Romeo Cornell the permanent head coach next year, I'm going to drive to Houston. It's not happening. And the fact that, I, look, I wouldn't think it was going to happen, but the fact that they even put out a report that they're considering it, somebody well, needs to be Of course they're going to say they're, I don't think no, I've ever seen no an interim guy ever get told you have no shot at getting the head coaching job. He is. He is 70-something years old. Yeah, he's not going to be the guy. He better. I just, look, don't even, the path that they put the report out Aaron, there just got me hot. When no, have I, you I, ever I, heard an interim coach get told, we need you to be the interim, but you have zero chance at getting the head coaching job next offseason? I, I, look, I just, I'm in the camp that it happens all the time, but... Did anybody? I like just don't put. Just don't say anything. Yeah. It's week. It's week eleven. Just don't say anything. Just wait. If you want to say, if you want to say that, wait until the coaching. You know, you start making the coaching interviews, and you say, "Oh, we're considering Romeo Cornell." Don't say in week eleven when you're two and eight or whatever. Yeah, so, it's it's. He's not going to be the guy, but yeah, I, I get it. If he were to be the guy, that would be incredibly frustrating. It better be. If it's not Eric Bieniemy, I'm going to be pretty upset. If he goes to another team, that's fine, but. If he stays in Kansas City, you don't bring him in. Well, I'm going to be pretty upset if the Cowboys don't get Eric Bieniemy. So, I, yeah, I think yeah. So we'll, we'll have to arm wrestle over that. Uh, as far as the uh, the Rockets, I mean, D'Antoni's gone, Maury's gone. Uh, they traded Robert Covington to Portland yesterday to bring back Ariza for like the 900th time. Trevor Ariza has come back to Houston. He and Harden are buddies, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, Arisa was good, you know, three or four years ago. He's a great, you know, 3 and D guy, but Russell, Russell did Russell. I, I don't know why we thought that Russell could go into Houston and be second fiddle. He can't. He says that he wants to be the guy on a contending team. Oh, well, that's not happening. There's no contending teams that need Russell Westbrook to be the guy right now because nope. they were. They're not contending. Zero, yeah. Literally yeah. zero. That, that, that team – Contender that wants Russell Westbrook to be OKC Russell Westbrook, that team doesn't exist in the NBA. Right. It was the Thunder, and they were never real contenders. Right. Uh, Hart, look, Harden, if Harden wants out, I get it, man. Like, this this whole building is burning to the ground. 
you know, he, it's not like he didn't put his time in there. He's been there since, what, 2012? Eight years, and, like, he's watched him be one game away from the finals to, like, the situation they're in now. I don't blame him. Like, if, I, if I'm trying to get out, get out now uh, while everybody's getting out, because why, why stay on this team and win 35 games or win 40 games maybe? Yeah. I, it's, just, it's just stupid. Now, I, I would love to see him on Brooklyn because that – I don't know that there would be 15 passes in a game on that team. It would be crazy. He turned down he turned down 50 mil a year for two seasons on that extension. Harden did. A hundred million dollars for two years. He turned it down. I get it, man. I wouldn't want to be there either. And you know, there was a rumor floating around that there were conversations between Houston and uh, Washington for a John Wall Russell Westbrook swap. And I'm just like, why? What the hell does that do? I feel like that probably happened, and then Scott Brooks was like. No. No. Yeah. We're not doing that. The Russell Westbrook, the, the same Russell Westbrook from Oklahoma City? No, I'm, uh, I'm all right. Let's, uh, I'm all right. I want to keep the point guard that hasn't played in the NBA in two seasons. Right. I'd, no rather, play, I'd rather pay John Wall $45 million a year to not play and throw up gang signs at the YMCA yeah. than have Russell Westbrook play 82 games for my team. How about, how about the report yesterday? Because about a week ago, there was a report that the Knicks were potentially interested in bringing in Russell Westbrook. And then yesterday, a new report surfaces that there are members of the Knicks front office that don't think bringing in Russell Westbrook is a good idea. Like, how bad is your stock when the New York Knicks, who have zero, like, even few... I guess R.J. Barrett is still, you know, could become something. But other than R.J. Barrett, they literally have nothing on that roster that's appealing. And to just say that you have big concerns about whether or not you would even want Russell Westbrook, that's pretty damning. I mean, if you bring Russell Westbrook in right now, he's, what, 31? 32, actually. He's 32. You still have to pay him $120 million plus over the next three years. He's got a player option in 2022 for $47 million. I can guarantee you there is no way he's not taking that player option. Uh, for $47 million. He's going to make close to $50 million for one year. He's taking that option. Yeah. Why Why would you bring him in? Why would you give up any assets to bring in a 32-year-old guard that can't shoot and pay him $120 million over three years that you are committed to? Because over the course of 82 games, he would probably average about 32 points. He would probably get close to averaging a triple-double again. He would be an Eastern Conference All-Star. And look, they're not winning in the postseason anyway, so who cares? Like, it, it brings attention to you. Him being in New York would be a big story. Like, it just it helps the organization from a spotlight standpoint, but it doesn't do anything for them in the grand scheme of winning a championship. But they're not in that conversation anyway, so. I just think, I don't know. I don't think it helps them at all because all it does is just, it, all it does is just cripple their, op- their options in the free agency class next year. But nobody wants to go there. Yeah, but you don't even have an option to get people in if you were paying Russell Westbrook $50 million. Well, that's true. I mean, at some point, though, you have to start evaluating the situation you're in, and you see that every offseason, people don't want to go play for you at some point. It's kind of like the Oklahoma City thing. Like, the Thunder have to make things happen. They can't rely on players saying, hey, I want to go play in Oklahoma City. I think the Knicks have kind of reached that level where 
every year we we attach players' names to the New York Knicks, and nobody ever wants to go play for that organization. So at some point, you have to just go get somebody. And again, I, I, Russell Westbrook to me makes all the sense in the world for the New York Knicks because they're not good anyway. He brings a spotlight. They're not going to win the postseason, but again, they're, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA, so why not? But he's not going yeah. anywhere that's a contender. Like, No, he said, no, absolutely not. There's no chance he's going to a contender. That's completely out of the question. I said last Thursday, I, I asked the question last Thursday on the podcast, legitimately, how many teams can you name that you think would be a, a fit for Russell Westbrook, not only from a standpoint of them allowing him to play OKC Russ basketball, but from a standpoint of you don't want to curb, you know, the growth maybe of some young talent. And I could only think of two, and it was the New York Knicks and the Charlotte Hornets, and then a buddy of mine threw in the Detroit Pistons. But other than that, like, can you think of any other spots where that makes sense, where he can play that style of basketball, but you're also not curbing the growth of maybe some young players? Uh, so the first team that came to mind, they came to mind because it's a it's a roster that I feel like could use a guy like Russell Westbrook, but just personality wise, I don't think it would work. That's Miami. Like I I think that they they could use an offensive guy that could take over games, but it just wouldn't work. I mean, personality wise, there's no way it would work with Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra and and all that. So you know that's not a good fit. I think their offense would actually become worse. They Probably. move the ball really well, and Russell Westbrook isn't that guy. He could be stagnant, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Detroit's interesting. Um, I mean, they really have nothing other than Blake Griffin, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, I guess that could work. Just let Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook take turns. Yeah. Charlotte's, Charlotte would work. I mean, they have nobody. Terry Rozier is not a guy that you're going to build your future around. Right. Um I'm telling you, there's yeah. there's less than five. And the Knicks have already expressed concerns about whether or not they would even want to bring him in. Yeah, well, I mean, Washington, may, Washington would work, but as far as Houston, I, the trade doesn't make sense to me. If I'm Washington, I, I don't make that move either. I mean, Bradley Beal is your guy. Do you want... I, I don't like the, the Bradley Beal-Russell Westbrook pairing. At least John Wall is a passer. Yeah, yeah. The Knicks will work. The Knicks have nobody. Russell could go in there and just shoot it 70 times a game and yeah. nobody's going to say anything. Right. Uh, Orlando, maybe. Yeah, I guess but, Orlando makes sense. Orlando doesn't really have any young guys that I'm looking at and saying this guy needs to, yeah. you know, get a lot of touches to because he, he has so much potential. I mean, it, 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 if you can do it in Detroit with Blake Griffin, you could do it in Orlando with. Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree. I, I, I would add Orlando to that group. Yeah, I mean, it's so, good luck, man. Yeah. And good luck getting those teams to... Uh, outside of New York, why does, what's the incentive for Orlando or Detroit to bring in Russell Westbrook? Zero. The, in, the, the only, again, the, like my original point was the Knicks and the Hornets from all aspects are the only two teams that make any sense at all. And... You know, from a financial standpoint, from a just bring him in and elevate where you're at standpoint, um, not slowing down the development of any potential like franchise players. Those are the only two that make a ton of sense. Yeah, and look, Charlotte, 
If they do that, if Charlotte pulls in Russell Westbrook, hell, maybe you have a, a Russell Westbrook, Anthony Edwards combo in your in your backcourt. That that's athletic. I'm sure there's some uh, some people in the Oklahoma City front office that are just getting super excited about that how athletic and long that backcourt is. But yeah, good luck. I mean, Chicago. Billy Donovan might actually set the building on fire if the Bulls yeah. brought in Russell Westbrook. Billy Donovan might walk in and just give him, give the uh, ownership of Chicago his badge and gun if they trip for Russell Westbrook. Like, I just see Billy Donovan, who's one of the nicest guys in the world. I see him walking into the front office with two tanks of gasoline and just pouring <laughs> it, lighting a cigarette on his way out and, like, flicking it and watching the whole thing go up in flames. I, I couldn't imagine being Billy Donovan dealing with Russell Westbrook for a couple of years, like... That, like the one game that comes to mind is that game against Denver where Gary Harris hit the game-winning three because Russell Westbrook was just like standing under the basket on an inbound play at the buzzer. Like having to deal with stuff like that from your star player and getting away from him for a year and having yeah. Chris Paul and like he like everybody just seemed genuinely more happy last year yeah. in that building. And then you go to Chicago where they bring in Russell Westbrook and you're just like motherfucker. Yeah. All right, we're going to hit the draft in a minute. I, I want to get your thoughts on on this. I said this yesterday on the pod. Uh, I'm curious to, to hear what you think. Chris Paul leaves behind a more lasting legacy in Oklahoma City, having only played one year, than any one of the big three former MVPs that were here. Um, so from the perspective of I, – I guess it just really depends on what the – actual perception of Chris Paul is from other NBA players. Because, you know, is it the Chris Paul from five years ago that everybody said was a pain in the ass and difficult to play with? Or is he, you know, the guy that is leading the players' union and everybody kind of looks up to, which I, I feel like that's the real Chris Paul. I feel like Chris Paul is respected and looked up to by all the NBA players. If he vouches for this organization and says this is a great organization that will to play for that will put the player first and do what you need to do and help you and the fan base loves you no matter what and, they, and all that stuff then yeah I, I think it is because I don't think Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant or and James Harden for that matter I think James Harden wasn't here long enough uh, to really vouch right. for the organization but Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook I don't think they have that league wide respect uh, as far as their opinions now Basketball on the floor, sure, they have the respect, but I just don't think that their opinions hold as much value as a guy like Chris Paul does. And, you know, who knows? Maybe if Chris Paul had this happened five years ago, maybe Al Horford signs here. Maybe uh, Pau Gasol comes here. Like, opinions hold a lot of weight in the NBA these days. I mean, we've seen it year after year with these guys leaking up together in random places, well, like and Brooklyn. And I think the thing that, that I would add to that is – his impact on the players that he leaves behind on this roster and, you know, them being around him for a season, them learning how to be professionals, them learning, you know, the value of, of hard work and team camaraderie and just, you know, teamwork in general. Like, I, I feel like those guys are in a better place today than if Russell Westbrook were the point guard of that team and he moved on this year. Yeah, and look, I, I've said this before. Chris Paul... It was one of the, like, I don't want to say best interviews, but, like, as far as, like, professionalism and, like, I, Chris Paul was, like, one of the only players that I felt like I went into that locker room, and this is when he was in Houston. I went to that locker room, and he talked to the media with, like, a respect 
and like understanding that everybody there was trying to do their jobs. Like so many players in the NBA just will roll their eyes and give you, you know, two or three word answers. But like he, like he tried, he would try and have a conversation with the people. And I think that, I think that too goes a long way uh, with Chris Paul and just like kind of being the guy that understands how to do his job well. And yeah, I mean, with young guys, like I, there, there's no way you can convince me if Russell Westbrook was here last year that Hamadou Diallo improves the way he does or that Lou Dort scores 30 points in a playoff game. Like, there's just – you would have nothing to be excited about for the future on this team if Russell Westbrook was there last year. Even if SGA was on the team, I still don't think that we're looking at SGA the same as we are now. Agreed. Agreed. All right, NBA draft tonight. Let's uh, Before we get to the Thunders picks late in this thing, assuming they don't trade up and or trade into the lottery – in some fashion. I asked you a week ago if you thought there was a clear-cut best player available in this draft. Uh, you said that in the moment you would think it was LaMelo Ball, but uh, a week later, how are you feeling? Uh, I've changed my mind. Okay. So, I think LaMelo's two right now. Uh, I would be shocked if he goes number one unless Minnesota trades it because D'Angelo Russell, LaMelo Ball, like, I just don't see the reason to take LaMelo Ball if you have D'Angelo Russell. Great. So, if Minnesota trades out in, like, say, a Charlotte or a Chicago trade up to one, I could see LaMelo going number one. But my favorite player uh, that I have watched, my favorite player I confidently can say is Obi Toppin, the, the kid out of Dayton. Like, he looks a lot like Eric Gordon to me. And I know that Eric Gordon's not, like, a flashy player, but this draft class is yeah. not, not sexy by any means. And I think if you could get – an Aaron Gordon type player out of this draft, I think you're winning. Like, he's super athletic. Like watch his highlights. Like he's he's doing like between the legs dunks in college basketball. He's doing 360 windmills. Like this just things that we saw Zion do, but people yeah. aren't doing in college basketball. He can space the floor really well. He's strong and athletic. Like Obi Toppin is the guy for me in this draft. That is my favorite player. I think he's probably going to have the most immediate impact in the NBA next year. I like Anthony Edwards skill set is athleticism but like I said earlier like he just he seems timid to me and if you're timid playing SEC basketball and you know then how are you going to be how aggressive are you going to be in the NBA matching up against the dudes that you're going to match up against on a consistent basis so Andy Edwards like the skill set there it's the mental side that kind of worries me with him uh, I, James Wiseman is a dude that I, I didn't have him. He's not in my top five favorite guys just because I got what am I gonna base off sixty minutes of college basketball? Yeah, it's tough. And he's, he's yeah, and he's a five that doesn't really space the floor. At least he hasn't shown that he can space the floor. And give me out on that. Like I don't care about rim protecting centers anymore that can't shoot. Um, I like Ty Hall- Halliburton at Iowa State. He's another dude that I like. He's a long, athletic point guard. Um, he kind of looks like. Uh, uh, who was the kid, the dude in Utah? Uh, Exum, Dante Exum. Dante he Exum reminds yeah. Me little, yeah, he reminds me a little bit of Dante Exum, which uh, he had some injury issues, but like, I, I think there's some there, some some potential there, the IQ's there with Halliburton. But like I said earlier, I don't think there's a big difference between one and ten. You could hit yeah. the, the best player in this draft could easily take another 20s. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll start with Obi Toppin. So I, I, I had to watch like probably five videos of him to feel like I got a bunch of versatility because part of the problem with a guy like that, he's 6'9", he plays at Dayton, so most of the competition that he's playing against 
Like, the majority of the dudes that, that are on the other team are, like, a foot shorter than him. Yeah. So when you see, like, all these plays where he just gets the ball on the block and turns around and scores over a 6-3, you know, defender, like, that's not going to happen in the NBA. He's never going to be in a scenario in the NBA where he's 6-9, getting the ball on the block, turning around and scoring over a guy that's, like, half his size. Unless he's playing Houston. Right. So, like... It, that, that part of it was kind of frustrating to me, but finally I found some, you know, he, he's got a good jump shot, uh, found some video of him in transition, looks super athletic with the ability to space the floor. So I, I'm with you. I like Obi Toppin, uh, and I think he is he is as NBA ready as, as maybe any player in this draft. Anthony Edwards is interesting to me, and, and I'll tell you the one thing I really appreciate about watching. Again, let me just, let me state this first. I watched hardly any college basketball this season. I mean, yeah, yeah, we didn't even get a postseason, but even with what was out there, I watched very, very little. So take into account that I'm, I'm basically making these opinions based on the amount of footage that I could find on the internet and not, not watching these guys within the course of a game. And I think especially with point guards, that's important because you don't really get a feel for how they control games and, and things of that nature. So understand all of that, I guess, with these opinions, but with Anthony Edwards, I, I like the fact that I saw him pulling the trigger from the outside as much as I did because I feel like so often with watching these guys in college or, or even overseas, a guy like Anthony Edwards who is clearly the most athletic player on the floor, like I feel like you end up seeing a highlight reel where all they do is catch alley-oops, all they do is dunk and transition, and you don't really see any of their offensive ability. I like that he has a high release on the jump shot. Um, and, you know, it looks like he can shoot off the dribble. He comes off screens well. I just think he's so raw. And given the skill set, there's a lot to develop there. Again, I don't I don't look at him like a Zion guaranteed all-star someday, but he's my favorite player in this draft. If I, if I was picking number one and couldn't trade out of it, he's the guy that I would feel like had the most upside. I, I think... I think there has to be some concern with his shot. Uh, I do like that he shot seven times a game. And, and to clarify when I said that he was timid, I felt like they're watching highlights uh, or, you know, watching the – I watched maybe like a game and a half or two games of Georgia last year, so by no means that, like you did. I watched all the college basketball this past year. But it, it was more that I don't feel like he utilized his athleticism enough uh, to – he should have been able to beat any defender that went up against him in that conference. Yeah. Or in non-conference, for that matter. George, it's like Georgia was out there playing Duke a bunch. Um, so I, I, maybe he was settling for the jump shot a little bit too much just based on the stats that I'm looking at. He, was, he shot seven threes a game, almost yeah. eight, and he shot under 30%. Uh, reports were that his, his uh, pre-draft workouts, that his, his three-point shot was terrible and potentially could be the reason he fell out of the number one spot or falls out of the number one spot. And I just, like, the the, the intangibles are there. Like, the athleticism yeah. is there. He's by far the most athletic dude in this draft. Like, I'm looking at NBA draft net right now, and his comp is Dwayne Wade or Donovan Mitchell. If you get that, I mean, you're getting an all-star, borderline Hall of Fame guy at that position. But yeah. I just... I watched, I watched, I didn't watch a lot of Donovan Mitchell at Louisville, but I watched a lot of Dwayne Wade at Marquette, and I never got the sense that, that, that he was timid in any sense of the fashion I call No, I, well, but the thing with both of those guys, they're both dogs, right? Like, they're both yeah. incredibly aggressive, 
just win at all costs kind of guys. And I, I'm with you from that standpoint. But, like, I feel like I'll give you a, an example of, of even in this draft class. Like, I was watching, watching uh, Cassius Stanley, the shooting guard from Duke, who also I think is, is just tremendously athletic. He's, uh, what, 6'5", 6'6", shooting guard. Like, his entire highlight video is kind of like Hamadou Diallo, right? Like, it's, it's just transition dunks. It's him going to the bucket. It's him cutting back door on defenses that are sleeping and, like, catching alley-oops and doing all these things that he's not going to be able to do in the NBA. Like, you're not going to do that every trip down the floor in the NBA, whereas, like, when I watch a guy like uh, like Anthony Edwards, I would like to see him use his athleticism more. I would like to see him take advantage of the physical mismatch that he has, but I like the fact that that's not all you see from him. That's not the only part of his game. That's, like, with Cassius Stanley, again, he's a great athlete. I, I, I would be really curious to see how his game looks in a situation where he's playing against other good athletes and not just the most athletic guy on the floor. Right. And Anthony Edwards, it's not like he doesn't have an NBA body right now. Right. Like, he is 6'5", 225. Just for, right. for comparison, Obi Toppin, who, if you watch highlights, you watch him, he looks like a freaking tight end out there on a, on a basketball court. He's 6'9", 220. So, I mean, Andy Edwards is definitely has an NBA body right now at 19 years old. So, like, I, I, it's not like I don't think he can go in there and, phys- and match up physicality-wise with these dudes in the NBA. Just like you know, we said, it's what's in his head. You know? yeah. What is his what's his mindset? What's his mentality like on the court? Is he a Jimmy Butler, or Dwayne Wade, or Donovan Mitchell, or is he going to go out there and uh, you know not have that confidence that he needs playing the two guard in the NBA to attack? Yeah, we had a conversation about taking big guys early in the draft last week, so we don't have to like go through that same discussion. But um, you know, I, I I told you unless you can see a guy's ability to either stretch the floor offensively as a big, uh, or he's got to be, like, so good defensively like a like a Bam Adebayo. Um, I have a hard time thinking I want to take a guy like that in, in the first few picks. I watched uh, Okongwu from USC, oh, and the, the comp on him is Bam Adebayo. I never saw... I guess enough of him on the perimeter to know if he's that sort of defender. And let me let me also the, the comp on him defensively is Bam Adebayo. So if he's able to to play on the perimeter defensively the way that Bam does, it's a home run. But like I, I watched probably eight to ten minutes of him this morning, and I think I saw him shoot one jump shot total. Yeah, he's uh like so you know again yeah. that goes back to if you get that kind of defender then great, but. If he gives you nothing away from the basket offensively, once again, you're kind of putting yourself in a bad position with a guy that you're taking that high. Yeah, as far as bigs go, uh, I, I like uh, Okongwu. I, man, I, James Wiseman is highly touted, and he's up at the top of every draft, mock draft. But I just, man, I just, like I said a few minutes ago, 60 minutes of a dude that's just a rim protector and just stays around the basket. Like, if I saw some tape of him shooting and spacing the floor, I feel way more confident. Like right now, looking at Mock Jeff has Minnesota taking him one. Why? Why would Minnesota take him one? Unless, you know, they're anticipating him trading out of that spot. But I I think James Wiseman falls a couple of spots. I don't think he's a top three pick because I how if I'm a front office, how am I drafting a dude based on sixty minutes of college basketball and some high school tape? Yeah. 
Unless yeah, it's not cool. LeBron James or Kevin Garnett. Right. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I think that there is a lot of upside with him. I think that uh, we don't know how good he can be. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, the problem is, again, I, I just don't think there are a lot of elite players in this draft. So if you want to go with upside and, you know, hoping that he develops into that, I, I completely get it. Because when you go further down, like you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton, I think he could be a good player in the NBA. His shot is really weird, by the way. Like it's it's a very l- slow load, and it starts so low. Um, I don't know. He's He's just really interesting. But the game is really natural to him and flows really natural. I just kind of like the way that he manages the floor as a point guard. Um, but then there, there are like, there are some guys like a Sadiq Bay from Villanova who I love and not because I think he's going to be an all-star or a great player. He's just the kind of guy though, that, you know, I, I feel like in the NBA draft, people just think every pick should be a future all-star or a future franchise type player. You've got to get other, you've got to get role players. You've got to get guys that complement your star players. And a guy like Sadiq Bay, who's six, eight, um, I, I, seems like a pretty good defender and shoots the three well. Like, he's a guy that immediately can come in and help a team. Look, in 2020 NBA, outside of a superstar, in my opinion, the most important type of player is a 3D guy. Yeah. I mean, every team needs a Danny Green. Yeah. Every team. I mean, there's a reason that Danny Green, teams that Danny Green is on are typically pretty damn good. Yeah. And I think, like, there's, like, Isaac Okoro could be that guy out of Auburn. Uh, the What's the Florida State kid's name? Uh, Patrick Williams, is that the one you're thinking of? No, the other one. But Patrick Williams is really interesting to me also. Oh, uh, Vassal? Vassal, yeah. Vassal, I think, is is that kind of guy. Um, Sadiq Bey is that guy. I mean, there are there are several of those dudes that I think are available anywhere from like 5 to maybe 15 that that are really interesting. Uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on the Avia kid out of Israel? Um, I... He was really high up box drafts a couple of weeks ago, and I think that I, I, I wasn't like super impressed with him. Like I, I think that he's he's got that European basketball thing, so you know he's going to come in and kind of have like a well balanced game. Yeah. But I think that at least for me, I get the perception that we want him to be like a like a Luca type Luka player. Dunn, yes. Yes. And he's just, I've watched the tape, and you watch, and I watched a lot of Luca tape when he was playing in Spain uh, before he came to the NBA. And like, you could just clearly see, like, this dude was next level. Like, right. everything was so, even at like 17, like, everything was so smooth. His IQ was great. His forward vision was great. He's athletic. Um, athletic enough. Luca's athleticism didn't, definitely well, didn't stand off on tape. Physicality then, wasn't going to be an issue. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. But with this advantage, Abdija, Abdija, I don't even know how you say it. Diddy, we call him Diddy. I just, I think we want him to be that, but I don't think he's going to be that. Like, his comp right now that I'm seeing is Hiro Turkoglu, and I think if you could get Hiro Turkoglu-type play out of him, like, that's a huge win. Yeah. I just don't see it. I, I, I just, I watched the tape, I just, it, it just doesn't, anything really stood out to me as far as uh, coming into the NBA and being more than, like, a decent player, but I guess you're getting him in the mid the mid, like the teens, and like you'll take that. You'll take a decent player. I I keep seeing him in the top ten and as high as four. Yeah, I see him high as high as four. I guess the, the specific mock draft I'm looking at right now, he was a top five player about a week ago, and now he's at yeah. eleven. 
but I've seen I've seen basically four to like I don't know sixteen to eighteen ish, like almost interchangeable. Like I've right. seen I've seen all those guys all over the map uh, in terms of where they're picked. But I, I'm with you completely. Like I watched that and I even kind of found myself like wanting him to be Luca like, but it it just it it falls short of that certainly. And and look, Luca's one of the top five players in the world. So right and. Yeah, and the reality is, like, how, how many Lucas have there been? I think Dirk is a guy from Europe that has played at that elite level, like yeah. the Gasol. Like, there are very few of there's few of them. Most of them come over and are like a like a McDonavish type player, like a good role player, right? Uh, that you can rely on. So, like, I think if you could get that at 14 or 15, that's good. If you're taking this dude at five or four or six, something like that, like, I think that you're probably reaching on him. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, all right, so the Thunder, 25 and 28 tonight. Uh, the 28th pick, obviously, coming from the Lakers in the uh, Dennis Schroeder trade. Uh, who sticks out to you maybe from, like, the bottom portion of this draft? And, and you know, again, I think it's so interchangeable. We have no idea who's going to be available at that point. Uh, but just looking at, like, the guys that, that you've seen projected to go in, like, the bottom 10 to 12 um, – who sticks out to you as as maybe somebody that you think the Thunder could go get or might be a good fit or whatever? Um, I, I think it kind of just depends what their mind – well, first off, as far as the Thunder perspective, I think it depends what their mindset is. Are they going to continue the trend of trying to be long and athletic? That, that kind of changes. I like Vernon Carey out of Duke. Um, he reminds me – I guess he kind of reminds me a little bit of Darius Baisley with like the skill set he's coming in with, but he's, yeah. a little bit, he's bigger – I think he could be a, more of a, uh, a threat on the block. Um, he's a good scorer. He's smooth. I like Vernon Carey. Um, I think that they need to get a point guard in this draft because Rubio is – who knows if Rubio is even going to play for the Thunder this season. So I, I think you need to add a little bit more depth in that backcourt with moving Schroeder, a guy that can handle the ball and run the offense. Um, I like Tyrell Terry out of Stanford. And honestly, like, I'm looking at dudes at that point in the draft. Like, who are dudes that can score and can shoot the ball? Yeah. Because if you're going to be a young team, like, I think that shooting the ball is a great place to start in today's NBA. If you can if you can shoot a lot of threes and keep yourself in games that way and make up for, you know, your inexperience, like, I think that's a good place to start. Like Tyro Terry, uh, like I said, like Vernon Carey. Yeah. Um, the the Tyler Bay kid out of Colorado kind of interests me because he's a little bit older. Maybe you could get a guy that's gonna come in and not be as uh, raw, but yeah, he's kind of like Andre there. Robertson, where he he plays the four at Colorado, but he probably projects to be a wing in the NBA. But but I think he's significantly more skilled as a basketball player than Andre Robertson was coming out. Like like he he has the ability to put the ball on the floor. He passes seemingly well. Like even his his like step back shot look a lot more smooth than than Andre Robertson's ever looked. Um, the guys you mentioned I think are interesting. I, have you seen Nico Mannion by the way out of Arizona? Oh, uh, he's the uh, he's the ginger guy, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, dude, yeah, I, I love I love this dude's game. Like I, I I was I had heard of him, but I'd never actually like sat down and watched anything of him. But he's like he looks like Chase Buttinger. But he plays like Allen Iverson style basketball. Like this dude 
just makes so many tough shots look really easy. And he just kind of, like, you were talking about that, like, aggressive mentality and that, like, dog type of mentality with uh, Anthony Edwards. Like, Nico Mannion has that mentality. That's the mentality you're talking about, where, like, he's just not going to be stopped. And it's funny, and maybe part of it is because he doesn't look the part. So, like, when you see it, it's kind of shocking, and it jumps off the, the screen at you. But that dude is good, man. He He's shockingly good. I, I uh, completely forgot about him. I remember seeing him in Arizona. I, I think I remember seeing like high school highlight tapes of him. I'm like, okay, but just like this dude's a ginger. Like I'm all in. Like this dude is so much, so interesting and fun to watch. And yeah, I and look, like I said it multiple times on this podcast. Like I would give me a guy and give me a draft that I know from a mentality standpoint is going to go in and not back down. And you could look across the NBA. Everybody's athletic. It's yeah. the NBA. Like it's so difficult to make it to the NBA. You're all athletic. You're all good at basketball. Like you're the. It's it's all there. Like you have to be really good and athletic to be in the NBA. But the difference to me in a lot of the cases is just the mentality side. Like if you can give me a guy that I'm confident is going to be aggressive and not back out, sure, give all day. Like a Draymond Green, a Jimmy Butler. Like those are dudes that were not drafted high, and but they've got that dog. Yeah. And they got that fight that, like, everything's going to – they're going to work harder than everybody else. They're going to get better. So, yeah, if on the floor, Nico made an absolute dog. If he's if he's like that practice off the floor, yeah. like, I think that would be a great pick. At uh, 28 or 25 or 28, uh, yeah. if you're looking for a point guard, like, I don't know what's going to be there. You mentioned Tyrell Terry out of Stanford. Um, you know, I think Tyrese Maxey, the Kentucky guard, is gone by that point. I think – Cole Anthony, the North Carolina guard, is gone by that point. Um, obviously, Kyra Lewis out of Alabama is gone by that point. So when you start talking about point guards, that's probably the the range you're in. But that late in the first round, a guy that just has that sort of playmaking ability and isn't afraid to take those shots and make some of those really tough shots look easier than they are, uh, I'm in. I, I, I he, he really jumped off the page at me uh, watching him today. And he's a good, he's, he's, he's a decent sized point guard. Like he's not super long. Six three one ninety. Yeah. But six three one ninety, like he's got a good frame. Yeah. So I mean, Trey Young's playing at what, five five nine one seventy probably yeah. one sixty. Like in today's NBA, like six three one ninety at point guard, like that, you, you can do a lot with that. Yeah, I mean, Kyra so Lewis. 19. Some of the guards that are projected to go higher than him, Kyra Lewis out of Alabama is expected to be a lottery pick. He's six three one seventy. Cole Anthony is potentially late lottery, maybe teens type of pick. Um, he is 6'3", 185. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, the Kentucky guard, 6'3", 200. Um, Tyrell Terry, the kid that you mentioned out of Stanford, 6'3", 170. So, yeah, 6'3", 190 for Nico Mannion uh, isn't isn't small at all. But, yeah, he was, he was really interesting. Um, uh, the other guy, and I didn't even know who this was, and that's probably sad considering he's a Big 12 player, but... Have you seen Desmond Bain from TCU? I am not familiar with Desmond. Yeah, no, not really. 6'6", 220, uh, two guard, like that. Okay. Shoots the ball really well. Uh, Doesn't, like, doesn't seemingly force anything. Plays off the ball. Like, he looks big, too. Uh, I think he's really interesting to me. Uh, I like, I mean, his last season at TCU... 
they played 32 games, so it's not a James Wiseman situation where there's a, no sample size. Shot 44% for yeah. three. Yeah. It, he's a 43% for his career at TCU, like, and, uh, and not just all college yeah. threes. Like, a lot of those that when I was watching are NBA. Like, he's shooting way behind the line at TCU. Yeah, I mean, it looks like he's not taking a lot of shots inside the perimeter. No. But, uh, like we said earlier, like, a 3 and D guy, at least I said it, a 3 and D guy outside of a superstar player on an NBA team is probably the most important role to fill. Yeah. I mean, he seems like Desmond Bain seems like a good 3 and D guy. I don't know how great his defense is, but... Shooting wise, he looks like he would be a great pickup as a role player. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you another guy that I saw uh, that I watched this morning that I think is interesting. Um, I think his name is Alexi Pokusevsky. Maybe so you say it. Anyway, he's listed as a center, but who he is a scrawny boy. He is seven foot. He's extremely skinny, but he basically like he is he I feel like his game is is more like uh he's like the skinny version of Nikola Jokic. Like he doesn't play a traditional center type role. Like he is essentially the point guard and he is a pass first guy. And like watching him just distribute the basketball was really interesting to me. Yeah, his uh I haven't. I didn't look. Uh, I didn't watch any highlights of him. So his NBA DraftNet uh, scouting report is a versatile forward with a guard skill set, just like you said. Nikola Jokic uh, has rare versatility and has been used in four positions: shooting guard to even center. Can do just about everything on the floor. Dribbles like a guard and runs the floor like a wing. How is this guy not the first pick in the draft? Excellent shooter from the three-point line. Very good in spot up and catch and shoot situations. Moves well around. Like, where's his flaw? Well, Other he's than his frame. Real, his frame yeah. versus law. The frame is is obviously concerned. It depends. I have no idea what he looks like defensively. Um, and again, I don't think he's an actual center. So you're not going to have him defending centers in the NBA, in my opinion. But where was he playing last year? Was he playing in a Serbian league, or was he playing in a bigger league? I think he was. I'm not sure to be honest with you. I would, I would be guessing. Uh, but. He's a really good passer. Like, that was what really stood out to me was uh, just the vision. And, again, he's seven foot and he's taller than everybody. But, like, pass first type of guy that that uh, just making plays for everybody around him. I, 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 just, playing, I just thought it was interesting watching the film on him. He was playing for Olympiakos in Greece who play in the, uh, the Euro League, I believe. If I believe, I mean, I'm reading it off of Wikipedia, so... Um, that's a good league. Like that's the top yeah. European league for basketball. It's where Barcelona plays. It's, where, it's the league that Luca played in when he was at Barcelona. Okay. Like, there you go. It's a it, it's a solid league. Like if he was producing in that league, I I you know I put some stock into that. It's not Australia. You know, like this is a it's a good league. So yeah. he was productive there. Like I'm not that didn't scare me off by any means. Well, again, considering where you're picking, I mean, to see what I saw from him and just think of what the upside would be there like I, I just I think that's a no lose type situation like this mock, this mock draft has Dallas taking him at 18 okay if they have a Nikola Jokic type player and pair him with Luka and and Kristaps yeah okay first off they've got the entire European market cornered <laughs> that's scary though yeah but no he's a great passer like that Anytime you can get a guy that you, you can say, especially in today's NBA, because it feels like everybody needs the ball in their hands. Like, anytime you can get a guy that makes 
plays for other people, that's valuable. Yeah, or or a shooter that doesn't require the ball in their hands. You know, like both of those things are are just I feel like rare commodities in today's NBA. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, Jimmy Butler's running around the NBA anymore. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's th- those were just some of the guys that stuck out to me a little bit, uh, like going through the draft prospects. But uh, man, Nico Mannion, dude, I was not expecting, I was not expecting that when I I saw the draft profile picture. And then started watching the video and, like, dude's just making pl- – like, he has, like, Allen Iverson-type swag, but looks like Chase Buttinger. <laughs> well, hopefully he's putting on a Lakers hat tonight at 28. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Thunder 25 and 28 tonight. If you had to bet right now, do they trade out of those picks and move up, or do you think they make the picks? I don't think they trade up. I, I just think this draft is so unpredictable that – keep your draft picks for future drafts and just take two guys in the first round. Yeah. Yeah. See what unless, you have. It's Yeah. Unless it's a situation like where with like the 25th pick and move up to like 15 or something like that. Yeah. Like I'm definitely not taking fewer picks in this draft. Yeah. All right. Um, so there is some trade rumors that the Warriors are talking to the Bulls about trading two for four and Wendell Carter? That makes sense for me. That makes sense to me. That I would assume Chicago's moving up to take LaMelo. Uh, the report I saw was they would be moving up to take Wiseman. Wiseman, okay. So, well, it basically, it puts them in a situation where they're getting Wiseman, LaMelo, or Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Because you would assume those three guys are probably going to be gone by four. So, I, I like that move by Chicago. Um, you said it was Wendell Carter. Yeah. Those, yeah, I mean, he's. I, I like Wendell Carter, but I just, he hasn't really, he hasn't really improved enough over his first couple of years that I feel like he's worth keeping around if you could get up and take a chance on a guy like Anthony Edwards or something like that, um, or James Wiseman, like you said. Uh, that makes sense to me. Golden State doesn't need anybody in the top three. Yeah, I mean, Golden State could trade down to four, get Obi Toppin, who's as prepared to play now as maybe anybody in this draft to pair with, you know, at, at the three, I guess. Draymond at the four, you've got Clay and Steph at the guards, and then Wendell Carter's your center now? Yeah, that's a hell of a starting five right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Absolutely. I, I like Obi Toppin. Yeah. Yeah, sign me up with that. Uh, what was the other one I just saw? Uh, the Celtics... Desperately trying to trade into the top three was a rumor that I saw this morning. That, I mean, again, I don't, I, I don't know what the play is there. The Celtics moving up in the top three. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I like again. I think it's a, we all kind of feel like the top three in some order is going to be Edwards, Wiseman, and Ball. But I, just, I don't even understand why. Boston would feel that they need to take any of those three guys. Agreed. And if you're moving in the top three from 14, you're you're giving up a pretty vital piece of your team. Yeah, okay, so that was from Mark Stein. He said, the Celtics keep searching for trade pathways to get into the top three of tonight's NBA draft, league sources say. Interesting. Yeah, that's... I mean... You're not trading Jason Tatum. 
I, I think Jason Tatum's one guy in Boston that's they're not going to move. Yeah. I mean, are you moving Jalen Brown to move into the top three? Kimball Walker maybe, but I don't. None of those teams are in the top three. Would, why would they need Kimball Walker? It's not going back to Charlotte. I guess Chicago is in talks for Kimball Walker. Maybe maybe they move to four and send Kimba to Chicago. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if Chicago swaps with Golden State and then moves that two pick to Boston for the 14 in Kimba. That would be interesting. And then Boston takes LaMelo at two. It's interesting. We've seen a lot of movement in the last couple days, and there's a, a lot of rumors about potential movement already. And I kind of thought when we had the NFL draft, we were going to see a lot of movement. Again, because I think there were more unknowns going into the NFL draft than we've ever had before. Certainly in this draft, there are more unknowns than we've ever had before. And, I, you know, in the NFL draft, we saw less movement than we've ever seen. I mean, everybody just kind of stayed put. I kind of get the feeling tonight we're going to see a lot of movement, but maybe it's one of those things where nobody really feels great because because of the lack of knowledge on these guys. Nobody gambles too much, and and everybody just sits tight. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It's going to be it'll be fun just because, like you said, who knows? What, like, there's no way to like. There's no surefire number one guy. There's no surefire number any guy. Yeah. Like five, six. Like it's just the mock drafts have been completely all over the place. So you're talking about dudes that were you've seen as high as four and then down to like eighteen. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it's. I think we know who the top three guys are going to be. We don't know what order. And then after that, it's a complete crapshoot. If Minnesota can trade the first pick, I think they're going to trade the first pick. I, I agree. Um, they just, none of those. Anthony Edwards is the only guy that makes sense for Minnesota. Yeah. And they could probably move down a pick or two to get him. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be crazy. And, and the other thing that I heard mentioned, because of the lack of, you know, a, a traditional season teams are more worried financially than they've ever been and the fact that we have this fast moving off season and i think it's i mean just a couple weeks away till players have to report and we're obviously going to see free agency fire up in just a couple days there was the idea thrown out that we may see a bunch of teams trade established players for draft picks tonight simply to get out of contracts boston right there kim walker like you just said yeah uh, right there. i mean he's he's making a lot of money that makes sense. Yeah, I, who knows? Like, it could be a completely wild night, like you said. I'm hoping for trades. Like, I'm getting a little tired of the NBA just being a complete carousel on who's on what team and, like, players changing. But on draft night, I'm all in on draft night being just a complete bedlam uh, and just, like, unpredictable. Like, give me that on draft night. Yeah, for sure. All right, buddy, I'll let you run. Uh, obviously, tonight's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, before before we do sign off, though, uh, give me your Bedlam pick. Uh, I'm going to take OU 37-24. Uh, oh, okay. I like it. So you got, the over. you got the over as well. Yeah, yeah, I think OU's just in a better place right now coming into this game to, to win comfortably. All right. All right, man. Have a good day. Enjoy the draft, and we'll talk soon. All right. See you. Aaron Davis joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast.
That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast. Once again, thanks to Aaron Davis for joining me. This episode is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out my great friends, Artisan Botanicals, and their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on their line of natural medicine products and how it can help you live a better life every day. I'm a customer. Uh, I have I have benefited from my relationship with them, and, and I hope that you... Uh, Give them a chance and look, if you just need to call and ask them about their products and how they might help you, then do it. They're great people and they are dedicated to helping you live a better life. Also, they do great things in the community. I'm just, uh, I can't say enough good things about Artisan Botanicals. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram, colby.daniels, Twitter, colby underscore Daniels. Uh, not to mention coming up this Saturday, two hours before kickoff of the Bedlam game in Norman, we will have pregame coverage. Mike Steely and I, I will tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels, so make sure you check that out. All right, everybody, have a great day. Enjoy the NF- or the NBA draft. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to remember everything. Uh, enjoy the NBA draft tonight. Thunder with two picks, 25 and 28. Maybe they move up. Stay safe, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Podcast is over.